0: Hey y'all, welcome back to Hour 2 here on the Thursday, June 2nd, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas podcast, uh, John Taylor, Fangraphs.com. So John Taylor uh, is on the podcast uh, for Hour 2 here, so thank you to John and the good folks over there at Fangraphs.com for coming on uh, Hour 2 here on the program. John and I talk about all things Major League Baseball, uh, the Phillies, the White Sox, uh, Jeffrey Springs... Um, all kinds of stuff, the Cubs and a really heartwarming story there this week. Um, but yeah, all kinds of great uh, MLB content all around baseball that uh, John and I hit on this edition of the podcast, uh, our two here on the blue wire pod network. So thank you for checking out our two here on the Thursday, June 2nd edition. Uh, tweet at me at chase the Thomas, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. Uh, check us out on YouTube, all kinds of great YouTube content uh, clips, full episodes, all that good stuff over on YouTube, the chase, the chase Thomas podcast right there, like, and subscribe all that good stuff to support the show that way. Uh, leave us a five-star reading and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If that is how you're listening, uh, you can email me at chase double underscore Thomas, all that good stuff. Read me sports, renaissance, com. Type an email. Never miss an issue there. Uh, all right. I think that's it. We can dive into hour two here on the Thursday, June second, twenty twenty two edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast on the Blue Hour Pod Network. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. <laughs> um, My nephew needs me on the court. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, taping this uh, late on a Wednesday with Grafs john taylor one of my favorites one of your favorites the fangraph tweets guess what they're from john taylor john good evening sir how are you
1: i mean mostly a lot of them are automated mm. the ones with the ones that actually sound like a person is behind them those are automated the ones that look automated are me okay so we keep everyone on their toes
0: that's good man because I, I couldn't do it how how much time do you spend uh oh, not, not thinking about long. these tweets
1: it's Not not that long it's the nice thing is, you know, with the Fangraphs Twitter account, I'm just there to inform people. I'm not trying to be one of those awful brands. It's just like, you know, constantly engaging with people and being like, Happy whatever month. This month we're going <laughs> to change our logo to... No, nobody needs that. We're, we're, we're just a baseball analytics website. You're here for baseball analytics, and that's what I'm going to give you. Uh, along along with some occasional jokery, but try to keep that to a minimum because we are a professional website.
0: Yeah, no jokery. What uh, Oh, what sticker do we got on the on the Oh, just maili- a Nalgene sticker. Yeah, oh, I didn't even know they did that. Because, like, look at mine, John. There's no sticker for me. Wow. It, it doesn't come with a sticker. God, just you that. Got,
1: you got cheated right there, man. Actually, you know what it is? I bought this sticker on the Nalgene website to meet a minimum a minimum shipping requirement so I could get free shipping. <laughs> That's probably what that was. I don't, I don't think they included it, come to think of it.
0: That's amazing
1: well that's like the other day i bought something online where i was like a dollar 50 off the shipping requirement for mm. for getting free shipping and it was something from bed bath and beyond so i was like okay well there's got to be something on this website for like two dollars i can buy so i bought mm. a comb i had my big order and then i just threw a comb in there i was like yeah it will get me free shipping and it did and now i have a new comb
0: do they sell combs at Bed yeah. Bath and Beyond?
1: Yeah, I was kind of. I I figured it's like you know you never see one. The Beyond part. I looked part? it up online and I was like comb.
0: Okay. It's
1: a plain old comb.
0: I haven't been in a Bed Bath and Beyond in a long time. It's mostly Thickman, Bed and
1: Bath. The Beyond is pretty much just kitchen. Oh, and that's I'm what they med- don't tell you. Beyond is just kitchen. <laughs> beyond just is be kitchen? Bed Bath and Kitchen.
0: Well. Thank you for ensuring that uh, Bed Bath & Beyond will not be a presenting sponsor of this very podcast. I'm just knocking just...
1: them off left and right between Bed Bath & Beyond and the, the terrible t- Cincinnati chili that'll give you bad diarrhea probably. Like John. Come on, Skyline was never coming. Probably not. No. that's Probably not. Un- unless want... you were quietly, secretly, way more popular in southwest Ohio... Than I don't know what what, do, what even is popular in Southwest Ohio. That that's a thing. Like who who even knows?
0: It's mm. a good question. I would have to. I don't know. That's a very niche popular area type thing. It is well, I, ne- I don't next know.
1: time you get a Bengals or U of Cincinnati guy on here, mm-hmm. or Reds if you want to talk about that, yeah. unfortunate franchise. <laughs> ask ask him ask him both about the skyline and about. Who the most popular sports general sports podcast is mm. that they know of in southwestern Ohio and and that part of Kentucky? I don't know. Maybe maybe those dollars are there. Maybe maybe Skyline is just looking for that very national push.
0: I was looking because um, of Matt Olson's early struggles in Atlanta. I was looking at like past hometown like w- the hometown success stories um, in baseball when guys sure. actually go back home or. They play for their own team, and obviously they're the Lou Gehrigs of the world, and Cal Ripken probably being the best obvious example. But I just completely overlooked that Pete Rose was from Cincinnati. Did you know that?
1: I I think I did, but I had just forgotten it at some point. Um,
0: I had no recollection of him being a hometown guy in Cincinnati. No recollection of that whatsoever.
1: Pete Rose is definitely an Ohio man. That that hmm. definitely scans. Uh, spends most of his time in casinos, wears an all-white baseball cap, uh, crime. That all scans <laughs> for me.
0: Crime. Um, John Taylor, uh, so here's the thing. We were we usually do these on Tuesday evenings, mm-hmm. and my national pastime is from Tuesday evening.
1: Okay, so we clearly can't do it.
0: Well, it's good, so I got to do it. It's all May right. 31st. Twenty or May 31st, 1948. We gotta go do this one because I thought it was pretty good. Um here it is. Tommy Lasorda, best known as the Dodgers Hall of Fame skipper, strikes out twenty-five batters and collects the game-winning hit when the okay, I don't even know how to pronounce this Blue Jays affiliate. It, it, it you you see if you can give uh this a better shot than me, John. S C H E N A or, excuse me, E-C-T-A-D-Y.
1: Oh, Schenectady.
0: Schenectady. Okay, yeah, there you go. It's
1: a town in upstate New York.
0: There you go. Um, that I, There you go, John. Thank you for doing that because I You're had welcome. no idea. Um, Blue Jays defeat the Amsterdam Rugmakers 6-5 in 15 innings. As one does. As one does. The promising Southpaw, who goes the distance in the Can-Am minor league contest, played in Mc... McNearney Stadium believes he probably threw more than 300 pitches during the game, John.
1: it's a lot of pitches.
0: 300! <laughs> 15 innings. 300 pitches! 1948! That's, 1948. Like a, that's
1: like a Japanese high schooler level of pitches.
0: Can you imagine complaining to Tommy Lasorda as your pitching coach being like, "My arm's a little, little tired." Can you tied. imagine he's complaining
1: like, to Tommy Lasorda about anything? He'd just kick you in the ass.
0: It's true, uh,
1: dude. Uh, dude, is he? He's is he still alive? I've, I've already forgotten. Did he die? I mean, he's he's for all intents and purposes, Tommy Lasorda has been dead for like five years. Um, but is he, he passed actually?
0: away last year? Actually,
1: okay. yeah that that was one grumpy, crusty man. Um in he pretty every much every right. sense He threw
0: 300 pitches in a baseball game.
1: Yeah, I think something worth noting about this particular era of baseball is that, you know, since we have for the most part left that kind of previous... The Tommy Lasorda generation really is not in charge of anything anymore. Mm. Um, the, you know, the, you have some very, like, you have some less holdouts like Tony La Russa, and I think to a certain degree, but certainly not with the kind of... Either the power or the grumpiness, a, a guy like a Brian Snitker, mm. but for the most part, baseball now it, it, those guys are gone. Yeah, which I think probably for a lot of people helps explain if you want to understand well, like why starters don't get through the sixth anymore or why you know the game is so or the, why the game looks the way it does and plays the way it does and functions the way it does. You know, a pertinent part of that is the fact that the Tommy Lasorda generation is, for all intents and purposes, gone. And they were the kind that like, again, like you, 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 you said it perfectly. Like, can you imagine being a pitcher and telling a guy who threw 300 pitches once in, in a minor league game over 15, was it 25 innings, 15 innings, whatever it was. 15. Yeah. That your arm is sore. Like, it's just not the same. The, the way the way guys literally play baseball is not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it doesn't surprise me in thinking about that, that, you know, I hadn't really thought of it until you mentioned it, but it, it, it is a it is a good point it's like that's baseball is literally not the same game anymore in part because the guys who used to play it are all gone now or used to play it the way it was or for the most part gone
0: i uh i'm reading marty smith's book and i'm almost done with that one this week and he has a whole chapter on tebow playing baseball uh and pivoting to baseball and like why he did it and uh, that always being his favorite sport growing up. And so he wanted to do since he was like four years old. And he was just like, I'm going to go do that. I didn't want to play be a tight end in football. I don't want to transition out of that. I'm just going to go play baseball. And he is good friends with Daniel Murphy. And they like live next to each other in Jacksonville. And Daniel is like quoted in the chapter where he's like, um, one of the things he teaches Tebow is that Look, man, you got this raw power and you need to be hitting the ball like uh, right. On. So there's the where Daniel was taught was like line drives and mm-hmm. just getting on base. And that was the way he he was taught for over 20 years of like mm-hmm. bat on ball, line drives. And then he fought early on where they were like, no, nope, you've got to go under it a little bit. You've got to go down a little bit more as uh, Khaleesi gets extremely excited about the Tim Tebow, uh, Daniel Murphy discussion. Who doesn't? Who does not want that discussion? <coughs> wow, this is good. Um we're gonna see how long Khaleesi will go here for a second. Uh the fiance some. Um <coughs> Khaleesi. I'm trying to podcast. You know the podcast is going on. She doesn't she care the podcast is going on. Oh there she Fair goes. Way. There there she goes. Bye Khaleesi, and that is your Khaleesi minute here on the Chase Most Podcast. It was only like um, 35 seconds. Yeah, it was great. Um but it was interesting because he was like, "That's where you go under." So Tebow just like learned that. But I just imagine like, can you imagine being in the room for a lot of these hitters, Major League Baseball hitters, who have, who knows how many times they've just taken a swing a certain way and learned a certain mm-hmm. way, gotten paid a certain way, and then being told, "No, you're going under it from now on. You're yeah. going under these we, pitches." Yeah.
1: We have a a, an inter- a short interview with Eric Hosmer up on the site, done by uh, David Laurolo, who's our, our resident interviewer mm-hmm. guy. But one of the things that comes up, and pretty much right from the bat, is the fact that Hosmer is not a lift launch angle guy. He has mm. always been a guy who hits a lot of ground balls. Um, and Laura asked him about that, obviously, you know, and just kind of a, you know, what what has changed for you as a hitter over your career? Because obviously Hosmer came up, um, I believe twenty ten somewhere, 2010, 2011, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. So he's been he's been in the bigs already for a while. And he mentioned, you know, I tried. Trying to put the ball in the air more, and I just realized it doesn't work for me because he was one of those guys who was taught, you know, when he was a when he was a youth and as in as a high school player and uh, and then the pros as a as a young player, you hit line drives. So his approach Mm. is to hit down on the ball, not up. And it's it's interesting to think about that too. That like you know that Eric Hosmer, you know, everyone has probably yelled about Eric Hosmer put the ball in the air a million times by now. He tried. And mm. it didn't work for him. You know, it didn't feel natural. It didn't It didn't work with his swing. He felt like he was, uh, I think he, the, the phrase he used was he was, or the way he put it, he was pulling off when he tried to do that because I think he would just tried to get, he got a little ahead of himself doing that. And he just went back to what he's been doing. So even even just that, like there is that very visible like line where baseball was one way and now it is another way. And then you get you, like, a guy like Eric Hosmer or managerially, like a guy like Tony LaRusso is caught somewhere in the middle, I suppose. Yeah, I guess and maybe less so in the middle for Tony Larusso, I'm like more like twenty-five years behind, or sitting in the back of the cruiser.
0: There you go. I don't know how to transition out of that, John. That's that was, okay. We don't. Good. We don't have to.
1: Tra- I mean, we're we're going. If we're if we're talking about one train wreck in TLR, we can just go to the other one of the Phillies. Oh,
0: there's your transition. This is now the John Taylor of Fangraphs. Actually, you podcast. want
1: to before we get into the Phillies, you want to know something right. funny because yes. I was just, I was looking it up today. Um, over on Fangraphs, you can chart uh, playoff odds over a specific stretch of dates, including you know changes over one month. Mm. Do you want to know which team had the biggest positive playoff odds change in the month of May?
0: Hmm. Let me think.
1: I'll give you one guess.
0: Okay. Let me think. I'm still thinking. I'm almost
1: there. Hold on.
0: Hold on, John. I'm you need a producer.
1: You can just throw the Jeopardy music on behind this kind of stuff.
0: I just. I get one guess. I don't want to get this wrong. Um, the month of May, biggest jump. Texas Rangers.
1: The Chicago White Sox. Oh. unbelievably, despite the fact they are 500 and. Look I was going like... to say the
0: Rangers are up to 500 now, or right around there. So I was like, is it the Rangers?
1: Uh, well, the Rangers are the problem that the Astros are in that division are just True. way damn better. Well, um, I was just thinking wildcard where it's like, yeah, but the White Sox have had their odds jump by almost 19% or jump. they haven't been good. 10%. That's, that's what, it's funny, I was talking about this with my editor, I was like, that's something I would love to put online, but I really do not want to see what the reactions are going to be if we say that the team that's most improved its playoff chances in the month of May was one that looked functionally dead for three quarters of the month.
0: That's insane.
1: It is. The, our projections really don't like the AL Central. <laughs>
0: Nobody likes the AL Central.
1: No, the AL Central is is a bad division for bad people.
0: I mean, that's a great uh, just full encapsulation of just, like, how we view teams and situations Mm -hmm. and things like that. Yeah, if if you
1: were to tell any White Sox fan, you know, any White Sox fan who's just coming off this miserable, not miserable, but this month where they've just, you know, so many things have gone wrong, be like, hey, good news, though. Your playoff odds actually went up. Yeah. They'd be like, "Are are you kidding me?
0: Yeah. That doesn't feel like it. It does not feel like it. Um, Somebody's playoff odds who did not go up in May. I'm certain of this. The Philadelphia Phillies. The Philadelphia Phillies. Um, Joe Durardi came out this week and said that he is not worried about his Phillies job security. Um, They're just simply not good. I mean, Harper's missed some time, but they spent more this offseason. And they're just. The Phillies, like Dave Dombrowski, is just—he keeps spending, he keeps trying, trading away guys, but it just is not working in Philadelphia this year. Once again, um, what would you, what would you point to as the biggest, the biggest reason? And does Girardi really have any, any part of this blame for what's going on this year?
1: I mean, if you were to ask me to list out the reasons for what's wrong with the Phillies, I don't. I mean, I I don't know that Girardi makes number one on my list. I don't know where he would place on my list, Mm -hmm. Um, but I I don't think he's the main problem there. Like, I I don't know if Joe Girardi is helping right now, but I don't think it's as easy to say, "Oh, well, everything gets better when you get rid of Joe Girardi." Um, I think the biggest thing, like you said, I I mean, it it sounds kind of simple, but they're just not—they're truly just not a good team. Mm -hmm. They are very limited. Defensively, they're the worst defensive team in baseball. No, no way around that. They're absolutely terrible defensively. They have a short bullpen that cannot hold leads, that cannot throw strikes, that cannot be trusted with runners on, that cannot be trusted in high leverage situations. Uh, They have a lineup that is very top heavy. Um, They seem to have been affected very severely by the dead end ball and whatever else is going on. Jason Stark's most recent column talked about all about the phillies and he mentioned one of the things is that citizens bank park which has always been one of the most hitter friendly parks in baseball since it opened particularly for power has played pretty much the dead opposite of that this season uh he thinks Mm -hmm. the humidor that's been installed there although i i I do not know if the humidor had previously been in citizens bank park or not but he, he thinks the humidor might have something to do with it you know obviously that's uh you know that's a big part of it um Ultimately, though, it's weird because you just kind of want to say, it's like, well, it's just the Phillies. What did you expect? You know, this was a team coming into the coming out of the offseason, right? I personally looked at them. I, I didn't see anything better than a 500 team coming out of that squad. You know, what, what was the reason to be more optimistic about them? Again, they had a bad bullpen. I think everyone pointed out that defensively they were going to be a mess at the absolute best, and they've been even worse than that. Um, there's no farm system still there, really, to provide any kind of depth the kind of depth they need. Uh, that farm system has now been years in rebuilding mode and has really not has really not produced much of anything of late. Mm. Um, you know, Alec Boehm looks nice, but that's pretty much all they're going on right now. It's, I mean, I don't know that I can point to one thing over another, but it just feels like a team that just wasn't built well. Mm. You know, I, I, that's kind of me when you see a team that is defensively as maladjusted as the Phillies. Um, that suggests that that's just a roster that just has not been built properly and is an inflexible roster. And part of that is, okay, like, you know, ideally you would not have Reese Hoskins at first base, for example. He's just not a good defender there or anywhere else. But then you also went out in the offseason, and your two big signings were Kyle Schwarber, who is a bad defender, and Nick Castellanos, who might be the worst defender in baseball. Mm. And granted, you knew you were going to have the DH, so you knew you could put at least one of those guys there, but that still meant that the other had to be out there, it also meant that now Hoskins has to play the field all the time. Now mm-hmm. Alec Bohm has to play the field all the time. Now, until he got hurt, D. Gregorius, who's very who's fallen apart completely, has to play the field all the time. And then you ran into the really, really big problem of Bryce Harper got hurt, and now there's no DH available for anyone but Bryce Harper. Now you have Castellanos and Schwarber in the outfield, mm-hmm. centered around a center field position that this team has still not figured out. I mean, there's still rolling O'Double Herrera out there trying desperately to see what if anything there is in Mickey Moniac, the former number 1 pick before yeah. they unceremoniously dump him in the offseason. Like
0: that not working out has really hurt them.
1: Yes, that I mean at the time that pick was looked at as a not quite a Carlos Correa cost savings but definitely I mean you you look back at that particular draft in terms of oh, well who would the number 1 guy have been mm-hmm. um you know, was it is it really that much about about cost savings versus was that the best guy they could have taken and some of that too is just the Phillies player development system is just not good or at least yeah. has not been good the player development system that exists under matt very very clearly did not do its job and it's in, it's interesting too to think about how many of these problems are to a certain degree inherited by dave Dombrowski from the matt years which was just a disaster but mm-hmm. you you look at that. It's funny. Just this is a tangent now, but I'm just looking at that draft. You know, Moniak was the number one pick, followed by uh, Nick Senzel, then Ian Anderson, Riley Pint, Corey Ray, AJ Pock, Braxton. I mean, th- this draft really, this first round is going to go down as one of the worst ones in a bit. Yeah. Um, just in terms of the guys who were picked. I mean, if you were, to, is if Ian you were Anderson to, the
0: best in this draft in that first round? Who is Ian Anderson number one?
1: Uh, by WAR produced, it's Will Smith, the um. Dodgers catcher. So, yeah, if you, were to, if you were to do this draft over, I mean, did the Phillies take Will Smith? I mean, sure, I don't know that things turn out exactly the way they do. Plus, he was not, you know, Will Smith was not a guy who was in a conversation to go to number one overall as a college catcher. You know, unless, yeah. I mean, that's reserved for guys like Henry Davis and Adley, Adley Rutschman and, back in the day, uh, Matt Wieters. Like, that was not Will Smith territory. But either way, I, it's more just a point that this roster was just poorly constructed with no available depth. Again, they came into the season with two, with like five guys you could stick at DH, but no center fielder. You, you can't really build a winning team that way. Similarly, it like doesn't
0: even matter that Ode- Odubel Herrera is even hitting. Like it just no, it doesn't, doesn't matter. They don't need the hitting. They needed the defense. They, they needed, needed a mouse. They needed the defense,
1: but also like, how can you not do better than Odubel Herrera after you'd already let him go? Right. Like that. That to me just suggests not just a, a total lack of options, but a total lack of imagination. A lack of creativity, a lack of vision for doing anything other than the stubborn, stupid, bad way that things have been done with the Phillies for the last, what seems like forever now. What was the last good Phillies team? How long ago are we talking at this point? 10 years? 09? Yeah, it, it has been a long time since we have seen a good Phillies team. Yeah. You know, The last decade for this team has just been running in, not just running in place, running in place at least you're not losing ground. Yeah. Know, th- this has been the same bad ideas and the same bad attempted solutions over and over and over again. You know, this team has finished above five hundred one time since twenty eleven, at five hundred exactly twice, but one time oh since twenty eleven, and that was eighty two and eighty last year. Barely. They barely did it. This is the definition of a mediocre team that is usually bad. And so wow. I that that to me it's like to a certain degree, it, it it is not Joe Girardi. It is not just the players on the field. It is the franchise behind them that continually seems to make the wrong decisions. Like, if there's anything you can count on, it's that the Phillies' brain trust will make the wrong decision. You know, their their list of things that they have gotten right in the last 10 years is a pretty narrow one. You know, it's mm-hmm. Aaron Nola. It's Zach Wheeler. It's, I mean, it's... It's Bryce Harper. I mean, but Bryce Harper was a, a no brainer. Well, I mean, what else? What else has worked for this team? What else have they gotten right? Yeah, it, it, it is just that. If so, if, I guess to, to circle back around, if you if you want if you want to if you want to ask what the number one problem with the Phillies is, it's the Phillies. It's the people mm. in charge. It's the people who built this roster. Because ultimately, you look at this roster and you are like, what? What better is this team supposed to be doing? It's a bad bullpen with a bad defense and a shallow rotation and a top-heavy lineup. That's a 500 team at best to me. That's the thing. I don't really understand. No, no, I do understand, but it's like I I can't personally get to a point where it's like, oh, no, the Phillies should be better than this. No, they they shouldn't. What, what, What evidence do we have from the last 11 years that the Phillies should be better than this? This is what the Phillies are. This is just what they are, and this is now what they've been under. This is now the third regime to try to take control of this team and try something better and new and different and they're just not doing it and so i wonder at a certain point you know beyond is joe girardi the right manager for this team is dave dombrowski the right person to be running this team
0: it is interesting though that they they're different like the phillies i just love diversity in baseball and as someone who watches a team so i have a stat for you not to bring everything back to the tennessee volunteers but john When you're in everything school and when you're dominating the SEC tournament and uh, the regular season the way the Tennessee baseball team just did and uh, the way they did, it it really makes you think. Um, But one of the things that made me think about was the fact that they had 141 home runs this season. 141. They gave up, as a team, 141 runs throughout the course of the season, tournament included. They had just as many home runs as runs giving up over a full season plus the tournament. Pretty wild. I kind of love the Phillies were like, screw it. We're just going to see if we can hit enough and everyone can have a WRC plus high enough that the defensive issues will still not be enough to keep us in the mud and get us to a wild berth. Just make the playoffs because Zach Wheeler, Nola and company like we'll have our top of the arms, the bullpen hopefully will be a little bit better and we'll just hit the crap out of the ball with Castellanos and company. Um, and that's just not no, what's it's happened. Not,
1: it's not a. It, it's just not a viable strategy. Yeah, you can't just ignore defense, or at least you can't ignore it to the to the point that the Phillies did. Yeah, uh, just reading Jason Stark's column. This is um, he wrote this. This was published on well today, uh, right mm. before the game, right before today's Phillies game against the against the Giants. Uh, they before entering tonight's game, they had a negative twenty-two defensive runs saved as a team on the year. Um, that is dead last in the league, and they have finished last in that category three times in the last five years. Mm. You, you, Not only does it not work, you have proof specifically that with this particular team, it doesn't work. You are too bad defensively. You cannot finish last in defensive runs saved and, and think that you can actually make the playoffs in that unless your pitching is all strikeouts all the time. And you have, and you've resurrected the 1927 Yankees offensively. You can't do it. And so that, again, that to me suggests, then, you know, I, I get that there are some foundational pieces there, like Hoskins, um, and maybe, oh my God, I, I guess that's the other thing. If you were to ask, what are the foundational pieces on the Phillies? Who are you pointing at?
0: I mean, is still a foundational piece. He's still young enough that he's a foundational piece. Okay, I'll he's, take what, that. He's, 29? Yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean, Segura is a little bit too old, and now he's um, out for
1: the next two to three months.
0: Yeah, I mean, Alec Baum was the Bum was the hope, but I don't think this season's inspiring much of that. No, um, I mean, you're, you're
1: looking at probably Harper and Wheeler and Nola as the guys you feel good about going forward. And Wheeler and yeah. Nola are both on the wrong side of thirty. Harper will be soon too. And Harper, by the way, who has a partially torn UCL in his elbow.
0: Well, this is also why you can't like tear it down. Like they just went through a horrific. Uh, rebuild with Klentak. Like you can't just do a well, teardown.
1: Even if you were to tear it down, what are you what are you doing? Yeah, you know, beyond Harp, no one's going to trade for Harper with the with the money still owed to him going forward. Oh, I know s- what we can
0: do, John. I know what we can do.
1: You we start a combined.
0: Team we combined Philadelphia and Miami the rest of the way. That solves both problems here.
1: That does solve a lot of problems, I think, for both teams. But I mean, the truth is, this Phillies team—if you were to try to tear it down—you're not going to get a whole lot in exchange for what they've got, you know, I I would imagine that if they continue to struggle and they are, you know, I mean, continue to struggle twelve and a half 12 and a half games back in the division, the division is over. What are their fangraphs fan odds
0: for even a wild card right now?
1: Uh, the fangraphs <laughs> season odds currently are... Just, like, add computer noises if you'd like. Uh, current playoff odds are 18%, which feels 18% Ooh. too high.
0: Hmm. You know, I feel like and, it was significantly higher a few weeks ago, wasn't it? Like thirty something, not too. Probably. Ago, right. I
1: mean, if you were to, if you look at our graphs, I'm sure we'll just see the Phillies in what is essentially uh, what we in the business like to call abject fucking freefall. <laughs> um, so their high point on the year was back on April 11th at 61.2 percent. Mm-hmm. Okay. They dipped as low as 32.2 percent about that's five what days remember, into yeah. May. Rebounded mm-hmm. up to forty six and a half percent a week and a half later, and are now currently down to eighteen. This is the lowest they've been all season. They are mm-hmm. closer in playoff odds to the Marlins than I think probably this is this probably the good way to look at it. Of mm-hmm. the National League teams, they have the worst playoff odds of any non tanker. Or the best mm-hmm. playoff odds of any non tanker aside from the Marlins. Which is also, mm-hmm. I think, a I mean a whole different topic illustrated the fact that, you know, they're just like half half the baseball teams are good, and the other half are just you know stinking on ice bad. But the Phillies, they might they, again. We we project them to finish eighty one and eighty one. Uh, two percent chance of winning the division, sixteen percent chance at a wild card spot. It's really hard to argue against those numbers, except for maybe they should be even lower than that. You know, it this feels is... like
0: the it feels like the NL is kind of already sewn up though and their playoff teams, I mean, right? you could
1: you could say that about the American League too. Like you mm-hmm. look at the same thing. The the number of teams with playoff odds in double digits in the American League is uh 11 mm-hmm. currently. Sorry, hold on. Let me I make sure my do 3 that. 4, four two, 7 10. Yeah, no, ten. 10. Sorry, 10. Yeah. There are 10 teams with with double digit playoff odds in the American League and there are 12 playoff spots. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I Everything is, set. that I think, uh, I, I forget who, who wrote it, but someone made the point in a column the other day that the postseason, the the, the league is pretty much set. Mm. Which is kind of the other thing, if you're the Phillies, like, this year was supposed to be just an automatic entry into the postseason. Yeah. Because if, if you're an NL team, like, you knew that there were three teams in the NLS that were going to be really good. Mm. That the Brewers and the Cardinals were almost certainly going to be the, two, the good teams in the Central. You knew if you're the Phillies, you're going to have the Mets and the Braves uh, up there, and that maybe the Marlins would be part of that chase, too. But that's mm. really it. No one was expecting anything out of the Nationals, Cubs, Reds, Pirates, D-backs, or Rockies. And so far, that's, you know. Your there's... job was
0: just to be better than the Cardinals.
1: Yeah, or, or, or be better than the Marlins. And, and they have been yeah. better than the Marlins, but barely. I mean, that's the thing. You were pretty much guaranteed a playoff spot if mm-hmm. you were if you were even just 500 is right there. And they can't even do that. And again, yeah. all of that suggests to me that the problem starts upstairs, mm. you know, that you have leadership that does not know how to build an effective playoff team. I'm mean, part of that. I, I don't necessarily think that's a, you know, Dave Dombrowski knows how to build a playoff team. He has done it before. I just don't think that with this roster as currently constructed, that he knows how to turn that into a winner in part because he's missing one of the main pieces that a Dave Dombrowski-led team needs in order to be a contender, which is a bunch of prospects he can trade away for major mm. league help. He doesn't have that because his farm system is bad. The other arm of a Dave Dombrowski strategy has always been spend, 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 and get the best players in free agency, which the Phillies will do sometimes, but for the most part have not really committed to spending in the kind of way I think that you would have to to make this roster good. And granted... You have to do a lot with this roster to make it a change of team, I think. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, a, a problem on its own. But at the same time, like, it, I remember when Dombrowski got hired, I kind of sat there and was like, that doesn't really make sense for where the Phillies are at. They don't have a farm system for him to use. And their ownership has made a lot of noise since signing Harper about not really wanting to spend that kind of money anymore. That's what you hire Dave Dombrowski to do. You hire him to spend other people's money and trade away other people's prospects. Yeah, that's his job. So what is he doing in charge here? What is what is the goal for Dave Dombrowski as, as head of the Phillies? And and I know that tech, you know he's not the GM. Sam Fold is the GM, but Dave Dombrowski is the one who, who puts the stamp of approval on everything. Yeah, you know. So what's going on there? What what is what is the what is the what was what were the expectations here with a guy like Dombrowski? Because right now it seems like you hired the wrong person to do the wrong job. And this is kind of the inevitable end result because, again, like we were saying, there's not really a way out of this for the Phillies in terms of just okay, we'll just sell everybody off and start all over again. That's not going to happen. Yeah, there are not guys on this team, with the possible exception of of JT Realmuto, or, or you know, if if they really want to get drastic, see what a guy like Wheeler would pull on the open market. There are not pieces here you're going to be able to move to get better, neither in the short term nor the long term. You know, nobody's mm. going to be lining up to take on. The the money you gave Schwarber or Castellanos nobody is is going to be clamoring for a broken Didi Gregorius or a now maybe Segura would have been a good guy they could have moved to the deadline but now he's out till the deadline maybe even past it you know you 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 really don't have options now you not no. I don't know how many options the Phillies did do but you don't have them now and I don't know that there was a better path necessarily that the Phillies could have taken in the off season mostly because I don't think this was something where in the off season there really were solutions I just think the Phillies have been on the wrong path to a certain degree or another, different paths, but perpetually the wrong ones for the last 12-ish years. Mm. You know, I, I think what you need at this point is more of a, I don't know, I mean, maybe this is the kind of team where it makes more sense to put a Farhan Zaidi type in charge of it. And you just accept, hey, the next few years here are going to be rough as hell because this core doesn't work, and we need to find the pieces that will make a new one. And part of that is a complete drastic overhaul of player development and player acquisition and minor leagues and just top to bottom.
0: Redo. I mean, it. you're trading Bryce Harper under those circumstances.
1: I don't I mean, I don't know if you can because I just I don't know that there one, I don't know that there's anyone who wants to take on all the money he's gonna be owed, especially uh, now I'll do like, it.
0: <laughs> I'll do it right now, John.
1: I think the other problem is you have to commit Can I, I offer you a Marcelo Zuna? That. And that, that's the kind of thing. I don't think Harper goes along with that. Mm. I I don't remember if he has a no trade in that contract, but either way, I I don't see him I don't see him doing that unless he is unless the Phillies explicitly tell him, "Look, this is going to be awful for the next 3 years. We'll we will get you out if you want, but otherwise, like you're going to be on some bad bad baseball teams." But he's already I mean the Rockies should be
0: the ones. Team. The Rockies, you know, he's cool with Chris Bryant. <laughs> It's closer to the to his team well, in Vegas. I was just
1: thinking, when the A's move to Vegas, MLB should help them out. And by help them out, I mean one, they should force John Fisher to sell the team. Right. And two, they should take all the L, L, all the Las Vegas born players. Yeah. Gallo and Harper and Bryant and all of them, and just move them to the A's. Because otherwise, number, I don't think people in Las Why Vegas. Why are we just assuming
0: it's Vegas? Why not just move the A's to Portland? Isn't that the better choice?
1: I. I mean, it would. I mean, this is a whole different topic at this point, because yeah. I, mean, I, I think Vegas also is just an appalling place to put a baseball team for like five different reasons. Yeah. Um, I Pretty really, hot. really don't think it's smart for baseball to get... In. Like, it's one thing to be involved in gambling with regards to like sponsorships and like partnerships. It's another thing to just put the team right there and be like, hey, open season, go nuts.
0: But I mean, I'm just, I'm kind of resolved to... Also, do... it's
1: not a baseball environment. It, it is it is going to... A baseball stadium there, a professional baseball stadium there would be a second course. Probably worse, mm. you know. MLB is. I don't know if MLB really accepts that. Like that will could not it be indoor. Be...
0: They, I mean, they could put a little raise type deal in there.
1: They. I mean, they also might have to, given how hot it gets in Las That's Vegas. That's what I was thinking. Um, might do it indoors. Yeah, and I don't know. MLB, I think, wants a team in Vegas. If only. No, I mean, I, don't I just know think we're would... going to
0: get all the major sports leagues. They're going to be in Vegas. Like I just some kind of resolved to the NBA is going to be there. The MLB like Vegas is just getting everyone like that's just sure kinda...
1: and, I, and I think MLB is not going to pass that up assuming that right. they can find a deep-pocketed local billionaire who's willing to to you know front the tab mm. but I mean regardless when it when it comes to Harper and when it comes to Philly's like I, I don't know where they go from here I don't know what the solution is because they're... do you play
0: it out though the rest of the year do you just see I how think this you goes have to.
1: I don't really know what else you can do I think you're you kind of you're deadline. locked in with a lot of these guys. You're locked in with Harper. You're locked in with Castellanos, with Shorber, with Wheeler, with Nola, with Realmudo, with you know, with pretty much all of these guys. And it's not yeah. like there are prospects in the system that you're just waiting to see. Oh well, let's give them some time to. I, I mean, who who is down there that you're really, you know, that you're really dying to see in a manner speak? Like you've already got Boehm up. You've got Bryson mm-hmm. Stott up now, who has not been playing well in part because I think he's been just yanked all over the diamond and between between the majors and the minors twice already. Um, you know, you, you have some pitching uh, a little further down in the system that you feel good about. Mick Abel, uh, obviously Andrew Painter. I mean, there are good players down there. Painter and, and Abel in particular are very, very good young pitchers, but they're both an A-ball. You're not seeing them anytime mm-hmm. soon, you know? Your, your best prospect in the high minors right now is Matt Vierling. Mm. That's not a guy you're cutting. You're you're making space for. You know the Phillies of yeah. the future, if they're going to be good, are going to be guys like Abel and Painter and Griff McGarry. You know, and those guys are at least two or three years away. So what? I think you don't really have a choice but to stick it out and see where things go. But the problem is, and of course the problem with that is, is that you're just going to waste what's left of the prime years of Harper. You're gonna w waste what's left of the best years of, of Schwarber and Castellanos and, and Real Mudo in the process, probably waste the best years of Nolan Wheeler. By the time you get to that point where you're like, Okay, the prospects can help us now, you're starting from complete scratch. Mm-hmm. For the most part, you know? And so I I that's Go in, Phillies. Yeah, it's it's this is this is a truly bleak situation in Philadelphia. It How many is years not have we been doing this here. podcast?
0: I feel like you and I have been what is this, three or four together.
1: Three or four, some that sounds right. Yeah.
0: I don't think we've had like a season where we've been like, man, great work by the Phillies. Because they this haven't done that in 12 years. They have point. not been fun to talk about this no, because
1: they No, because every group in charge of them doesn't really seem to know how to build a team top to bottom. And that, that's not just, oh, we signed Bryce Harper. It's we've got the farm system to help, pro- to help protect him, you know, to provide depth. When is the last time the Phillies picked a guy up for the cheap and made him better? You know, Ray's style. Like who if you're looking at that Phillies roster right now? Like who is the guy where they they kind of scooped him up out of nowhere? If he was, you know, it's like his third team or whatever and they've made him better. No one. There's no
0: one. No one's ringing a bell.
1: No, they don't they don't do that. They do not the guys they bring in who are on like team number 5 or whatever or like the Juris familiars of the world. They don't yeah. make them better. They're, that's just a play. that's like a, the Phillies are kind of like a nursing home in that regard. This is a place where they just get older and worse. You know, there's, they don't, whatever their player development and, and, and whatnot is, not even player development, but just the, their coaching staff stuff. They don't make guys better. People, players do not come to this team and get better. They get yeah. worse for the whole, or they just continue to stagnate along. Again, that the, all of it suggests a leadership that needs to be replaced, mm. and that this team needs an entirely new direction going forward, with a pronounced focus on the farm system and on player development. Because again, they have spent. This is not. This is not a, a vision, or this is not a team like the Reds, where you can just say, "Oh, well, they just stopped trying. They're not spending anymore." They spent a mm-hmm. lot of money on Harper and on Schwarber and on Castellanos and on Wheeler and on extending Nola and on getting Real Muto, and they give up a lot of prospect capital for that one, too. They have spent the money. It has just gone nowhere because you cannot build the team on free agents alone, which has long been a Dave Dombrowski staple. That doesn't mm-hmm. work very well if, well, part of it is if you just kind of strike out with some of those free agents, but also if you just don't have anything behind them. And if those free agents are fundamentally flawed in a lot of ways, again, Castellanos and Schwarber, fantastic hitters when they're when they're on, some of the worst defenders in baseball, mm. and you're you're currently stuck with both of them in each of the outfield corners t- for the entire season, unless Harper's elbow magically heals by itself. There's nothing they can do about that. Or, or again, again, yeah, or again, the center field situation when you're reduced to bringing back thirty-year-old Odubo Herrera. Like you just you that that is one of those things where it's like when you do something like that, it's like, okay, then something's got to change. You cannot be in a leadership or a front office that does something like that and still expect to command the respect of anybody when you're forced to dig that deep into the garbage pile. Because you have so completely screwed up one of the most important positions on the team for a decade running at this point. That's, I mean, that bringing back Odubo Herrera's indictment enough on this Phillies leadership and the bad job that they've done and just the total lack of forward planning that they've had throughout this whole thing.
0: Speaking of a lack of forward planning and things not going well, but for whatever reason, the numbers are in favor of them. The White Sox, who might just be bad, and yet they just continue. This is a brilliant Galaxy Brain way of doing things, John. They just look more dead and their numbers go up. That's just how this works. Maybe it's like actually being bad and helpless. Fangraphs will take notice and are like, mm, I like this. I, I <laughs> like I like what I'm seeing here. Playing dead. Playing possum. I see what you're doing, Chicago. I see what you're doing, Southside. I'm not going to fall for your tricks. Uh, Dallas Keuchel getting optioned or Tim Anderson going on the I.L., I see your game. I see the long game. We believe in you. If I'm a Twins fan and I see that, I'm terrified. Or I'm like, what are we not seeing here? What what, what are we not see-? like? Well, explain it's, it's, to it's, Twins fans like what's going on with Fangraphs and why they should not be panicking.
1: Well, it's funny to me the Twins are. But I think if you look at the Fangraphs, if you're familiar with the Fangraphs playoff odds, a lot of it is just it gets rest of season projection based on a variety of things. So in this case, you know, you're projecting the strength of schedule going forward and we have the White Sox as having one of the weaker ones going forward. Mm. Um, you're projecting, you're using projections for the players who are on that team and what we we expect them to do going forward. And that's kind of the thing about the White Sox is when you look at that roster and you look at the guys who are on it, of course you're going to get some positive projections because, um, I mean, look, their rotation has been great. Uh, mm. They have stars in a lot of in a lot of places. Who, I mean. Yes, Johan Moncada has struggled badly. Asmani Grandal has struggled badly. Like uh, Eloy Jimenez has been both hurt and bad when he's been on the field. Luis Robert Luis Robert has missed a fair amount of time. But like, you know, the, these are players that our projections still like because they are very good players with you know with a lot with a with big ceilings. So if you want to understand part of why our playoff odds actually improve for them, I mean, part of it is that part of it is the AL Central is a mess beyond the Twins, mm. and. I, I mean, I think it just boils down to that our projections still believe in the overall, excuse me, talent level of this team in a way that it doesn't for a team like the Phillies. Because, mm. you know, I mean, uh, as we've just gone on about ad nauseum, there really are a lot of problems with that Phillies team that you know projections just can't ignore. But I don't know. I mean, I, I personally, like I don't always agree with our playoff odds just in terms of like, the, the, the simple numbers they spit out. And looking at that White Sox team... I can buy the fact that they have one they have one challenge in the AL Central and that's the Twins. And the Twins are racking Guardians in- are playing okay. They're a little Guardians feisty. are playing okay, but I, I have a really hard time seeing them keeping that up. A lot of their offense has just been built on uh, singles getting through getting past bodies, you know. Well, I mean if Bieber
0: figures it out,
1: a guy who's throwing 90 miles an hour right now down from the 93-94 yeah. he used to work like Bieber's not bad, not, not to say he's bad now. I just don't think we're going to see the Bieber of old anymore because that would require his velocity going back in a way that it, it just has not all season. Yeah, um, I, You are I always we... more of
0: a one more time, or tell me one time, or what, uh, oh man, I was going to throw out another Justin Bieber song. No, I game. wouldn't even
1: pick it up, that's a thing. I, I do no. not know a Justin Bieber song in the last five years. Does he still make music?
0: He has that banger with uh, the kid uh what is his name god we're in our 30s there his name's like the kid Leroy or something the joy. Sure. yeah why not but it's like stay you've probably heard the little catchy beat that's the, i'm not gonna read <laughs> I, I, I was
1: i was really hoping just i was really wondering i was how not gonna do go. the beat yeah but no i mean i i see i you know from the beginning of the season and, and still now i see cleveland as a 500 team at best but yeah it, it's just like with the White Sox right now, I mean, you, you kind of run into some of the same problems you see with the Phillies. Like, for their starters, the depth is just not there. Yeah. You know, they, they are, but even more so, I think, there were just some decisions for them in the offseason that just really didn't make any sense. Like, they, they went into the year with a, they went into the offseason with a big hole at second base. No real plans there. They came out of it with Lurie Garcia and Josh Harrison? How does that happen? How is that where you end up? Right field was going to be nothing until they swapped Craig Kimbrell for A.J. Pollock. And so far, you know, I, I don't know what Kimbrell would have been for this White Sox team. I, I think you can argue that, you know, they, the, best bet, the best solution for Chicago was just to move him for somewhere they needed help. And that's what they did. But they also picked a guy who is deeply injury prone and has not really been all that good the last few years in Pollock. And no surprise, he has been injury prone and not particularly good this season. You know, yeah, and I think that gets to probably the biggest reason the White Sox, you know, struggle the way they do. It's because this is just a team that just has bad health. Jimenez, Robert, Grandal, now Tim Anderson again, Moncada, Pollock. Um, you know, there's some fragile-ish arms in that rotation. This is not a team that can stay healthy for 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 a long period of time at any stretch. You know, the, that that core combo. If you were to a winning White Sox team has that core of Robert Jimenez uh grandal Moncada, abreu all healthy all on the field together mm. that's happened maybe what four times this season have they even gotten a week with all five of those guys in the lineup at once it's a good point like it, it it's just something they haven't gotten obviously compounded by the fact that some of those guys aren't producing but they are mm. relying too much on on, Lur- on guys like Lurie Garcia or Gavin Sheets or Danny Mendick or, or Jake Berger or whoever it happens to be, where those guys are just not major league players or yeah. whatever is left in Josh Harrison at this point, and the results suggest not a whole lot anymore. You know, throwing Dallas Keuchel out there, start after start watching him get his brains beaten until they finally mercifully pulled the plug last week or earlier this week, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um and again, where where is the depth behind him? now? I know they have Lance Lynn coming back. Again, granted, the rotation is probably the least of Chicago's concerns right now. They have three very good pitchers in there right now. Four once they get once they add Lynn, and they have Johnny mm-hmm. Cueto. And I'm never ever going to complain about Johnny Cueto. But like similarly, team construction is also one of those things where it's like again, this White Sox team is also bad defensively. You know, this is this is not a good team overall when it comes to defense. And then your main, but your main bullpen setup guys are Kendall Graveman and Aaron Bummer, who are both big ground ball guys. That's just not really gonna work, you know. Or even just the decisions that are being made. Why AJ Pollock in right field? Why Joe Kelly as as an addition as a as a as a middle reliever? You know why Keuchel? Why they make a lot of decisions? It feels like we're just kind of sitting there going, "You guys are really banking on five dudes in particular all having MVP years together." Mm-hmm. Because this, I think, what we talked about a fair amount in the offseason was that this is probably one of the most high-variance teams in the majors. And probably the most high-variance of, con- of the contenders. Because you look at that white scene, it's like, everything's got to go right. Because mm-hmm. if things aren't going right on this team, ooh, it's going to get ugly real fast. And we're seeing that. I and mean, we're seeing that in part, too, because, and this is, this, I think, was, is the ultimate fatal flaw that no matter how, no matter how much talent Chicago has, no matter how healthy they are, no matter how good the lineup is, whatever, they still have Tony LaRusso in charge. And I just, I don't see how that's a good thing for the Chicago White Sox. I don't, I have not seen anything over the course of TLR's um, time at the, at the helm in Chicago to suggest that he is capable of doing the job at anything better than like replacement level. I don't think he's actively a bad manager, but I don't think he's a good one either. And I think it's pretty clear that in a lot of ways the game left him in the dust. And mm-hmm. that's not a problem you're gonna fix, I don't think, necessarily, because this is a guy who's here over the objections, presumably, of Rick Hahn and the rest of that front office. He's there because Jerry Reinsdorf wanted him there. Which is not to say I'm not not to take blame away from Rick Hahn and company. This is a this is a group that now we are what, six years removed from their fire sale where they dumped Chris Sale and Adam Eaton and
0: Time flies. Uh, yeah. And you're not having however, fun. however
1: long it's been now. Um, they haven't, we, we have yet to see the good White Sox team that was supposed to come out of that.
0: Mm.
1: You know, we've gotten two division winners, uh, who've both been knocked out of the playoffs with amazing speed, Mm. not just knocked out of the playoffs, embarrassed in the playoffs start to finish, like just looking like the worst team all the way around Houston demolished them last season. Um, so at a certain point, you kind of look at you look at Rick Hahn, too, and you're like, "Where are the results we were supposed to get by now?" Mm-hmm. You know, this was supposed to be a jaw dropping team of athleticism and talent, and we're not seeing it. Right. And again, similarly with Philadelphia, I think we're not really seeing the depth that you want to see out of your, you know, out of your minor league system. That's going to that's going to help like help balance those guys out. You know, their best prospect. You know, looking at our, our 2022 top prospects list on Fangraphs graphs of the White Sox, uh, highest level last season, A-ball, double-A, A-ball, A-ball plus, uh, Romy Gonzalez, who is a utility guy at this point, A-ball, A-ball, double-A, Jimmy Lambert, who was, I think, took some spot starts for them last year, MLB, A-ball, rookie ball, A-ball, A-ball, double-A, A-ball, A-ball, they don't have high minors guys right now who are ready to contribute. You know, again, that depth is not there. And part of that's they graduated some guys. Part of that's they traded some guys away, but there is not a group of guys there ready to contribute. And this is that's not a it's not a strong farm system either. You know, mm. this is another part of it. It's like part of be, building a winning team in this day and age is you have to have a good farm system to supplement the, the things you do with with trades and free agency. And they just don't have it. They do not have it. And so. Again, that is that falls on Rick Hahn in the front office. You know, the, the, you know their best prospect right now is a 20-year-old third baseman in high A ball who, who we have a 45-plus future value grade on, which is not bad, but it's that would put him... I don't think, and I'm, I'm going to double-check on this, I do not think there is a White Sox prospect in our global top 100. I huh. do not leave that at this case.
0: That's surprising.
1: Which it is. And, like, you would think Chicago would have a better... To produce good guys like you know they right. but yeah I'm, I'm looking right now there is not a single white Sox white socks prospect in our top that's really not a good sign that's really really not a good sign they have struggled very badly to develop talent the last few years mm. and so again Phillies wise they're not they're not as in, in dire straits as the Phillies are I don't think um, Yeah. you know certainly they 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 have the advantage of a better division I think a better overall talent level certainly a much better pitching situation But you're seeing some of those same problems of an inflexible roster without a whole lot of depth, the weak farm system where the manager is probably not the best guy to be in charge of this, and where you're just looking at the front office and going, why are you guys still here? You have not really Mm -hmm. accomplished the task you said you were going to accomplish. You know, Because that was the understanding, is when they dumped Sale and Eaton and everyone else, that, hey, this team isn't good enough now, but give us some time, we're going to get better, and then we're going to stay better. That hasn't happened. You know, again, you've got a, you've, they've made the playoffs twice the last two years, and that's that amounted to zero, and they were mm-hmm. very clearly outclassed both times they were in the playoffs. You know, again, this is a team, and you and I have talked about it. This is a team that demolishes inferior competition, but really has not seemed to be able to stand up to better teams. Mm-hmm. And I think we're we're seeing that again. This is a team that is just fatally flawed in some regard, or at least their path to success is both narrow and difficult currently not impossible and certainly if they can get their guys healthy and all together that's a world beating lineup and roster overall but we're as we're really seeing like that's not a guarantee especially given that a lot of these guys you know are injury prone players who have just not health i mean that's like health is a tool it's as Mm. much a tool as hitting and power and speed and everything else being able to stay healthy is a tool and a lot of these guys just don't have it and that there's not really a whole lot you can do about that either really this is a this is an optimistic episode of the chase thomas podcast well we can Presented do this skyline chili
0: well we can do this john jeffrey right. springs
1: jeffrey that's a nice story
0: that's a nice story that's, that's one nice of our story. last big it's, ones. it's a
1: raised story so you know what it is it's a bad pitcher who they picked up off the scrap heap uh and turned into a good pitcher that's their thing
0: well y'all had a great piece on fan about him um and it's, he stands out more right now just because their rotation has just been decimated uh, this season. It's part of the reason the Rays are not who we, who they were last year, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, it, like I said, it is it is so like the Rays to find those guys and to deploy mm-hmm. them when they do have those situations. The roster is falling apart around them. And, yeah, they, they've had some real issues with regards to, you know, keeping everybody healthy. And that was... That obviously as we saw what kind of sank them last year is losing Tyler Glass now uh, late in the season. And so, you know, by the time they were, you know, they were a great regular season team, but the, by the time they made it to the playoffs uh, and faced Boston in the division series, their top two starters were Shane McClanahan and Shane Baz and both great young pitchers, but they really didn't have any depth behind that. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing something similar now this year. You know, they've lost Wander Franco for for an extended period of time. They've lost Brandon Lau for an extended period of time. They have had trouble keeping their outfielders healthy. Randy Arozarena has got off to a slow start, although he's heated up a bit. You know, so much of the, what makes the Rays successful relies on availability and production from those guys when they are available. Mm-hmm. Once you get guys, once you start losing guys to injuries, or once guys like Arozarena aren't producing the way you know that you. You know, want them to basically mm. you're in a lot of trouble because the machine just kind of starts breaking down piece by piece you know this is not a team that can survive injuries well because it is such a on the one hand it can because it's a modular enough roster you just you know you, you plug and play guys as need be but there's only so much talent you can lose and only so much talent you can replace and so i mean again springs is is a guy where you know they they did the very standard tampa bay thing they found a guy who you know, I remember watching him on the 2020 Red Sox. He was abominable. One of the worst pitchers I've ever seen. You know, great, good stuff, but no command. Everything was a bullet off the bat. You know, nothing really working for him. The Rays pick him up, stick him in the bullpen, let him do his thing. But you can just see, like, you can easily see what the what the Rays' strategy is. And, and then the big thing with Springs is you look at his his, his pitch usage. When he was with the Red Sox, he threw his fastball 47% of the time. goes about 92 miles an hour on average. It's a perfectly average fastball. Slider mm-hmm. 27% of the time. Changeup, his best pitch, 26% of the time. Now, with Tampa, that has gone to a, he throws his changeup 39% of the time. Hmm. He barely, he doesn't throw the slider much anymore. He's lowered the usage on the fastball. But that's what works. He, they just told him, hey, this is your best pitch. Just throw it yeah. a lot. It really is not that simple. The Rays like but simplify things. In a they way. do, but that's that is their that is one of their great strengths. They yeah. pick players up, or they develop players by telling them, "Hey, here are the things you're good at. Focus on those. Develop that, and just roll with that." That's all. you I need think I want to
0: send Charlie Morton to Tampa for the summer, and then get him back come October.
1: <laughs> I think Charlie Morton might like to go back to Tampa for the summer.
0: I mean, he got a title. He's ha- he did. He's okay, that's fair. That's fair. And plus, he's, he's home. You know, he's having yeah. a good
1: time. He's, he's near his family. I mean, he's old. This is the end for him, anyway. But, this has got to be it, right? This is yeah. This lot. is I'm season. I'm sure when Morton's contract is up, which I believe is this after the season, he will retire. Yeah. Um, that feels very very guaranteed to me. But mm-hmm. but that's the thing. Like the Rays are just like, hey, throw your best pitch more often, and the result has been hitters, you know, far less bar- far far fewer barrels, you know, lower exit velocities, uh, just better results overall change-up's a great pitch and it makes sense just throw your great pitch more often but yeah with with regards to the Rays, it 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 is tough just for them because like you said they've just dealt with so many injuries and they've had to shuffle things around so often but again they just they survive and succeed because they're able to find those guys like springs where it's like hey you do one thing really really well let's work with that let's make that better um yeah but uh, again that that's the tough part for them is like but there are only so many injuries you can survive and in particular, Lau and Franco are... And I don't think Franco's going to be out forever. And it seems like what he'd been injured with had been bothering him for a while, so it's probably for the best he's on the injured list now and has the time to recover. Um, and eventually they're going to get both Baz and Glasnow back, hopefully, um, from the elbow injuries they have suffered. I know Baz is already pitching in, in AAA, and, and I imagine Glasnow will be um, maybe a guy they have for the last month or so of the season because he's about nine months out from Tommy John surgery. Mm. But... Yeah, I mean that's that that is just that is how the Rays operate. Is they find those they find those. I should mention too, a big loss for them, Andrew Kitteridge, from their bullpen, uh, who's been on the injured list now for the last two and a half weeks. Uh, another guy they they really another another guy where they found him to like do the thing you're good at real, a lot more. Um, yeah, I, I, Jeffrey Springs is a very nice guy, and He's a very Rays story. It's just the, the the problem with the Rays is not just obviously the injuries they've suffered, but also the Yankees are very 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 good, and the Blue Jays are not bad either. So, which is the, I mean the usual for them. They've always had to deal with this kind of stuff, but yeah, it's it's a lot harder to deal with it when you just don't have that many healthy bodies anymore.
0: Well, John, I tried to end that one on a positive note. Yeah, um, I'm just
1: I'm not I'm not letting it happen.
0: Here you go, here you go. I know how we can end this positively, but we're gonna hit t- we're gonna hit three negatives really quickly. Carlos Martinez gets an 80-game ban. Uh, Brewers lose Woodruff, following Peralta, and the Mets option Dominic Smith. All happened sad this week.
1: News. Oh, you want some more sad news? Uh, Grayson Rodriguez, the number one prospect in baseball, just left uh, Just left his start with the athletic trainer. Oh, no. So let's hope that's not anything bad. Meanwhile, the Phillies are getting absolutely wrecked right now by the Giants. So... Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I know. Well, Corey, uh, Corey, Cody Clemens debuted for the Tigers this week. We're that's not good John. news for
1: me. Go go to hell. <laughs> that family can go to hell.
0: Man, what did Cody do to you?
1: Nothing. What it's his dad. His that's not Cody's fault. Dad,
0: don't put that on Cody.
1: <laughs> don't put that I on Cody. The John, right to think that, uh, to think that Roger Clemens is someone who should. Experience no joy or happiness for the rest of his life.
0: Wow. Putting that on Cody. Spencer yes. Torkelson sitting a little bit now. Let's see, man. Let's just wait. Um, the last thing, and we'll wrap up here. Uh, there is my favorite story of the week and it involves the Cubs, which was weird. Um, How's your you favorite
1: would... story of the week? Not the Jock Peterson, Tommy Fam fantasy football imbroglio. Hold on. Is... Every part of that has been the single funniest <laughs> thing to happen to baseball in the last, f- at least since we learned that the Astros were literally just banging on a trash can to steal signs.
0: It was great. It's up there. My problem, John, is... How could
1: you have, what is, what could possibly be the problem <laughs> here? It, Tommy Pham quite literally said on the record, I don't like when people fuck with my money, and that's like only the fifth funniest thing about this.
0: That is a funny part of it. I will, I will attest.
1: Mike Trout got dragged into this mess. He did? He did, because he's the commissioner of this league. And so Tommy Pham, talking about it again, brought up the fact that that he thinks Trout is a terrible commissioner who doesn't do anything. That's true. Trout under the bus. That's true. They drew Trout under the bus. Mike Trout, the best player in baseball, is getting dragged into this because he's Roger Goodell.
0: It pays to be the king, man.
1: It does. Um,
0: You come with the king, you best not miss. Let's throw some more king quotes in there. Um, My problem, John it's kept going i've wanted to i want all of my news in like one fell swoop and every four hours getting a new update or every night getting a new update on this where i'm like okay i just need it all out there we need mike trout Tommy Fan Jock down. Peterson, like a sit down and let's just move forward from the sit down. I can't take any more bits. No more bits and pieces. That's where I'm at. I,
1: all I want is at least once a week, Jock Peterson has to hold up his phone in front of a bunch of very amused reporters and scroll through the group text and go, there's the gif of the Padres that I sent, Yeah, you know, that's making fun of the Padres. And it's literally guys lifting dumbbells and the Padres one gets... Like I-, I want constant updates about the shit posts in that group text. I want to know how it is that Tommy Fam got so incensed at memes that he quit a ten thousand dollar buy in fantasy league with like in like September. Mm. That dude was out by like week four <laughs> over Jeff Wilson.
0: I mean, I'm telling no you, no like- part
1: of this is not funny. <laughs>
0: I mean i do i agree with all of that and i do want the i think i texted you i like the jock peterson memoir is actually probably the best baseball memoir that could be made anytime soon
1: cherubic little face got slapped yeah for some ir chicane not even chicanery it's just tommy fam doesn't know how fantasy football works yeah tommy fam if you're listening to this please do not hurt me (laughs) (laughs) i respect and value you as a person and a baseball player just don't join the major leagues anytime soon,
0: yeah um but okay, what is
1: what is this cub what is this cubs thing that is supposedly better than this
0: christopher morrell and nelson oh, yeah, velasquez guy. both got called up this week mm-hmm. or uh well velasquez got called up this velasquez, week morrell's been up, been a couple up for couple two weeks now yeah um but it's weird because velasquez was assumed that he was going to be in because i think he uh was he in AAA and then they jumped like morrell jumped him from two to, jumped from double a yeah, yeah that's right um and then it was like, oh, he wasn't expecting it. But they've grown up together. They have been best friends for mm-hmm. for life. Morel described Velasquez as he's my bestie when they both got called up and are playing together. And it was like a surprise when Velazquez got called up. And uh Morel was genuinely uh overjoyed about it. He said, Quote, I told him, Stop kidding with me. Um <laughs> uh, it was That's that, it. That, I mean that's I, a I, delightful thing. I, I have a he had like spot a hitting streak stuff. this week. Yeah,
1: I, I have a soft spot too for. I know they're they are so um, manufactured, basically just to make you feel things. Like every team now does them as a matter of fact because they understand it is just instant virality and instant good feelings. Mm. But videos of guys getting told that they've been called up. Yeah, uh, the Orioles did one for Adley Rutschman. The Mariners did one for Julio Rodriguez. Like uh, when he made the opening day. Did the Braves roster.
0: do one for Michael Harris? I don't even remember.
1: Uh I'm I'm sure it's somewhere out there that they had whoever Triple A Gwinnett's manager is sit him down and be like, Alright Michael. sopo Oh it's it's a Tuyasa Sopo? Yes it is. It is, is of the Tuyasa Sopos? It it's Matt. The USC Tuyasa
0: I don't know if they're related.
1: I mean how could they not be? How many Tuyasa Sopos can there be there?
0: Well I mean he was a baseball he was a utility guy in big Oh wait, I think
1: I know who you're talking about. it's Matt
0: Toyasa Sopo?
1: I believe yeah I think he is part of that family okay uh, yeah Matt Sopo. Mm-hmm. so okay he, I, he does not have a, a deep south accent that I just kind of assume no very much not <laughs> that so I assume that whoever was just in charge of AAA Gwinnett was just gonna <laughs> be some real like Brian Snitker hold tiger. on so, let's be careful here would wad. you like to know where I'm from
0: John I am from Gwinnett County where the Gwinnett Stripers are be careful John
1: Oh, yeah, so it's Sopo, the younger brother of mm-hmm. Marquez and Zach, the son of Manu Sopo. Okay. Uh, his father and brothers played college football in the Pac-10, Manu at yep. UCLA. Sorry, it was UCLA, not USC. And his two in older brothers Washington. in Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, their older sister, Leslie, played volleyball at Washington. His mm. brother-in-law is Micah Owings, and this is the funniest part of his Wikipedia page. Oh, I didn't faith. know that. Uh, he is the cousin of Ronaya Sopo, perpetrator of the Mantiteo girlfriend hoax.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: What a, f- what a fun group of people that would be to hang around, honestly. I want a but, doc. HBO doc for that family. But I, I guarantee there is a video of Matt Tuyasasopo. Um I, I can't get over how much fun it is to say that name either. <laughs> I guarantee there's a video. Or no, because Harris got jumped from A, so it wouldn't be Tuiasasopo. Yeah. It'd be the A manager. Um, over there
0: in Mississippi. I don't even know I, who our Mississippi Braves manager is.
1: I guarantee... That God, Mississippi is hard to spell. No, it's not. It's just a lot of M. I.
0: There's this whole song for it, John. I know there's a song. M. I. S. S. I. S. S. I. P. P. I. Bruce
1: Crab, Crab Bubba. Wait, what is his name? Bruce Crab. Okay. Yeah, he uh he used to play for the Expos. So he was drafted by the Expos out of Gulf Coast State College in Panama City, from Louisville. John, um, look
0: out! It's thundering and lightning behind you in New York City. There's a lot of
1: lightning. Uh, yeah, crab one of those. Cloverfield never got out of the minor leagues, but no. um, yeah, just I, I imagine there, that video has to exist of him sitting Michael Harris down and being like, "Kid, you're going to the show," and Harris just do that thing, or you bend forward, and like, and then all his teammates will come in and be like, "Yo, bro, you're going to the show." Like, well, I think
0: there was one story where he he did say, but I, didn't, I think this was an AJC. I don't think this was a team thing where he. He told his parents they needed to pick him up from the airport because he's a local and a kid too. Mm-hmm. Um, by by Braves
1: think... law, you know, one third of all draftees <laughs> in any season must be from the greater Atlanta or Georgia area. Hold
0: on, that is an okay strategy considering it's a great how many strategy. kids come from Georgia powerhouse. Like, yes, it's a yeah. really
1: good strategy. You can you make the case only that ever it's... draft out of Georgia, Texas, and California. Just pick those yes. three states and only ever draft their players.
0: I mean, it's not a bad it's not a bad way of going about things. Like it, it's one of those things where Georgia should probably the Atlanta Braves should be one third Georgia people for forever. So, it's if like now the Braves are one third Georgia
1: people. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, I I agree, John. Um, well, we'll see, we'll see what happens. But folks, check out that story. It's on the Cubs MLB dot com page uh, by Jordan it's a very nice
1: Story. It's it's not as good as Jock Peterson. Having oh to explain goodness. that a GIF is the reason Tommy Pham slapped him. Yeah, like I n- I never thought that that is, gives I you think, genuine
0: joy, man. You're I all think in. It,
1: I think the thing that makes me happiest about that story is it's the it's really as close as baseball gets to being the NBA, which just mm. always has the single best player interaction, like off the off the field stuff. Like the NBA is undefeated permanently. Like it gets beat by by international soccer because international soccer is just chaos mm. all the time. But of the American professional leagues, the NBA is just nonstop entertainment in that division. Mm. And this is an NBA ass story. Some dude slapping another dude because of a ten thousand dollar fantasy football league. NBA as hell. And I love it. Tommy Fam, mm. what a character, what a guy. Do not get into a fantasy league with him. He does not understand the rules and he will not react well to that.
0: There you go um john taylor fangrafts.com at J taylor go subscribe and become a member of fangraphs.com if you've not already done so anything that you would like to plug as we wrap up here on this wednesday night edition of the pod
1: uh we have a very uh we had a piece today on from dan saborski on aaron judge and how his turning down that extension offer was a bet on himself that has paid off very very nicely mm. uh more usual stuff we'll have something from jay jaffe tomorrow on the demise of Noah Syndergaard, who has come back to Earth after a pretty strong start, but has not really looked like the Thor of old. And a big announcement from us coming uh, mm. from our shop, which you'll have to wait to see what it is. But I promise it's good news for those of you who like fan graphs, accoutrements, like t-shirts. Definitely yeah. tune in for that. We'll have another announcement, too, coming up about our community research blog, which is our reader-submitted portion of the site. Uh, we're bringing that back after a brief hiatus. So if anyone listening is interested in writing for Fangraphs, non-paid, unfortunately, this is just, you know, if you have an idea as a reader and you just want to submit it see what it looks like, Mm -hmm. but it can lead to greater opportunities in the future, Uh, keep an eye out for that. And a final reminder, we are uh, nearing the deadlines for our two open, for the open positions we're looking at. One is to add a full-time staff writer one is the other is we're looking for paid part-time contributors if you're at all interested in either of those you think you'd be a fit uh head on over to the fangraphs website drop me a line uh if you're at all interested I can point you in the right direction but please do hurry if you're at all interested in that I believe the deadline for our full-time position is June 3rd so the end of this week uh part-time that'll be deadlines. tomorrow when you listen to this folks yes. so get it in and now and then the other deadline is June 10, which is next Friday so, by all means, I think we're also still looking... June 10th, uh,
0: next Friday? I, I know, like, right? Goodness gracious.
1: And also, if you're a non-writer, but you want to get involved with Fangraphs, I believe we are still looking for a part-time junior developer to help with uh, internet stuff, just uh, all kinds of fun coding and whatnot. Uh, either way, head on over to Fangraphs, check that out, and like Chase said, if you're not a member, sign up to become a member for uh, $25 a year for the ad for the regular version, or I believe it's... I know, we 50 for the ad free? I really should have those numbers memorized. But either way, come join Fangraphs. We're fun.
0: There you go. John we Taylor, always
1: sports. Might as well call it fun Graphs.
0: This is why you do the tweets. Uh, at J8. That. That's
1: an easy one. There you go.
0: You just use that, John Taylor. Yeah, John Taylor, absolutely. always a pleasure. Stay safe out there with uh, the craziness happening behind you in New York yeah, City. Yeah,
1: it's, it's, it's the end times out there. Cats and dogs living together. Mass hysteria.
0: There you go. John Taylor, talk to you soon. Later, man. All right, y'all, that'll do it for hour two here on the Thursday, June 2nd, 2022 edition on the Chase Most Podcast here on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Uh, if you enjoyed today's episode of the program, make sure uh, you leave this show a five-star rating interview on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if that is how you are listening today. If you're not already, make sure you're also subscribed uh, on your uh, podcast uh, player of choice so that you never miss any uh, new edition here on the Daily National Sports Show, the Chase Thomas Podcast on Blue Wire. Uh, email the program at podcast at gmail.com. Uh, tweet at me at chase double underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer Go check out the homepage, chasethomaspodcast.com, of course. Um, all the good stuff. Hour 3 coming up in just one second. The full ride with Matt Green on all things college football to wrap up here on a jam-packed Thursday show. Here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. So, thank you for sticking around and uh, tuning in to today's episode of the program. And, uh, you know, you know what I'm about to say. You know what I'm going to do. Uncle Derek, how'd I do?
1: Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.